Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by General Assembly's NYC Campus. GA empowers individuals to pursue the work they love by offering courses in coding, design, digital marketing, data analytics, and so much more. Head to ga.co slash classes and get 30% off your first class with code BOSSEDUP. Hello and welcome to Bossed Up the Podcast, episode 22. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And as a quick reminder, our next Bossed Up Bootcamp program is coming up soon in Chicago this June 16 and 17. So if you are a woman who's navigating a career transition and is looking to refresh your self-advocacy skills, get clear on where you're headed next, and leave with a plan of action and a community of courage behind you, Make sure to find out all the details and register to join us now before we sell out at bossedup.org slash bootcamp. Now, today's conversation on the episode kind of got me and my guest into a bit of a debate. You see, we're talking all about promotions on today's episode. And of all the things that face professionals today, to me, promotions are the most loosely defined. I've heard from women who seem to get promotions without a title change or a pay raise. And I've also heard from professionals from across industries that they've been able to negotiate a title change as a part of their promotion, but no financial change in their compensation. Others tell me that they were promised a promotion in their annual review only for it to take eons to materialize. And most often I hear from disgruntled employees that the jobs they were hired for make up only a small portion of the actual job that they're doing. And so how do you deal with that kind of a situation when you're really not being acknowledged for or compensated for a whole bunch of work that you're doing on the daily? So the question really becomes, how much patience should we have with our workplaces on this front? We know that job descriptions change, responsibilities and projects come and go. How much tolerance should we have when navigating those gray areas that loosely define our positions. You know, what constitutes being a good team player and pitching in to help out with the workload? And at what point does it become exploitation? When do you start to feel resentful, like you're being taken advantage of? This is the debate that was spurred on by a really interesting career conundrum that came in from Sonia. Take a listen. Hi, Emily. My name's Sonia from Portland, Oregon. My career conundrum revolves around my attempt to gain a promotion. I've been at my job for eight months, joining a small team of two other individuals. Recently, the most senior employee transitioned off our team into a project management role, leaving myself and one other individual to manage a significant amount of work. This individual subsequently received a title change from manager to senior manager, though he had been pestering our supervisor for that promotion for about six months. Incentivized to have a conversation of my own, I set up a chat with my supervisor with two primary requests, a title takeover of the now vacant management position, as well as a 5% compensation boost to reflect the extra workload. My supervisor responded by saying there's not enough money in their budget to support a raise right now, though if a new client is acquired and revenue is boosted as a result, I may have the opportunity to get a bonus. Client acquisition has nothing to do with my role, leaving little power in my hands to make that happen. Further, he said he needed to outline actionable goals for me to reach before achieving a title change. When I prompted him to set up a time to discuss those goals, he told me he would need to talk to HR, which could take up to two weeks. From that, I told him I would check back in two weeks. I'm worried I'll continue to get the runaround and never receive a clear idea of how to progress and succeed in this company. 
I fear they will keep kicking the can down the road as this behavior has become notorious across departments. Do you have any advice on how I should proceed beyond my plans to check back in two weeks from now? Joining me to tackle this tricky question is a longtime friend of mine, Alexandra Stevens. She's a mission-driven marketer, an alumni career services manager, and an advocate for women in the workplace. She's currently the Associate Director of Alumni Career Programs and Engagement at Brandeis University, where she creates meaningful opportunities for students, alums, parents, and employers to connect about their careers. Before joining the Brandeis team, Alexandra worked in marketing and communications and PR at Rosie's Place, a shelter for poor and homeless women, and at Constant Contact. Fusing together her experience in career development and communications, Alexandra also helps her private clients create powerful personal brands and leads webinars and workshops for groups of all ages on LinkedIn, social media for the job search, networking, and salary negotiation, topics she's presented on at Bostep Bootcamp too. She graduated with a BA in communications from Northeastern University, lives in the suburbs of Boston with her husband and two-year-old son, and in just a few weeks is expecting to welcome a baby girl to the world. Alexander, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Emily. I'm pumped to be here and discussing this very interesting topic. Yeah, so I thought of you right away for a few different reasons to help me break down this real challenge that Sonia's facing. And there's a couple different components to it I want to walk through with you. First and foremost, your work in the Career Center at Brandeis University means that you deal with workplace conundrums, especially amongst alumni and recent grads all the time. Is that right? Absolutely. And second was because I knew I needed a good team member to tackle this topic. And you and I know each other from how exactly? (laughs) We go way back, Emily, way back to the high school days, I think potentially even middle school days. I do think so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you were one of the hotbox farmerettes in Guys and Dolls. I I sure was. I sure was. Um, And so we did musical theater together. We've (laughs) played competitive volleyball together. Yes, it's only right we are reuniting again to talk about career (laughs) conundrums. (laughs) Exactly. I thought it was important that our listeners, that we level with them as to how far back we go. So it's especially great to have you on. And I might add to have you on just weeks away from your due date for your second child. So congratulations. Mother's Day was just the other week. Congrats. Thank you so much. It's an exciting time. And it's times like this when everything just happens to converge all at once. So why not record a podcast with three weeks to go? (laughs) I love that you said yes to this. Thank you. Okay. So Sonia, first of all, I commend you for doing your due diligence when it comes to advocating for yourself in the workplace. Alex, you know that a lot of the women I work with through Bossed Up and you've spoken at Bossed Up Bootcamp in the past need a bit of encouragement to go to the mat for themselves, to negotiate for themselves. And Sonia, that is not a problem for you. You are going to the mat. You're asking for more. And what you're running up against is a pretty common challenge that people face in the corporate world, in academia, in so many different sectors, which is the realities of how our organizations work is that they take time. Throughout the course of this conversation, I want to unpack just how much patience is a reasonable thing for Sonia's employer to ask of her. But before we even go there, Alex, what about this first challenge? When somebody leaves the team, a vacancy has happened, and all of a sudden everyone else is expected to just pick up the slack. This is something that happens so often What's your first instinct when it comes to dealing with that kind of a situation or what are your thoughts? Right. So I think, you know, you mentioned we were on a team together. I think the nature of being on a team is that you do have to pick up slack at different times. And I myself will be going on maternity leave in just a few weeks. I'll be gone for 12 weeks. The nature of being on a team is that people pick up where others leave off and are working together towards a common goal. So it's not uncommon that employees will need to take on additional work when someone leaves or is moved to another team or goes on temporary leave, whether it's maternity leave, a family leave, medical leave, whatever it is. This is just the reality. Yeah. 
I totally understand that, Alex, and I appreciate the team mentality, but it sounds to me like in this case, Sonia's team member wasn't gone for a temporary amount of time. And I've heard from so many women that the job description they're hired for becomes half of the workload that they're saddled with when they get into the workplace. So have you heard about a kind of complaint like that from anyone you worked with in the alumni center? I mean, absolutely. So lots of leaves are not temporary and you have to take on additional responsibilities when someone's position gets eliminated, someone leaves and they choose not to refill it. And so we can assume that's what's happening in this case. And so there are a couple courses of action. The first one most often being, though, that you have to take on that responsibility and own it and show that you can do really well and thrive with increased responsibility. Because so often you need to prove yourself before you're going to get that promotion or that raise. You need to show that you can do the work and be doing the work before you get the reward. And that's sometimes really frustrating for people. I would say so. I think there's an interesting facet in the research that shows women more often than men have to prove that they're capable of the work before they get the promotion, whereas men get promoted on potential alone. So women are promoted on performance and men are promoted on potential. And that's infuriating, right? That's a systemic bias that can't be an easy pill to swallow. So is there really nothing that an employee can do to advocate for you know, increased compensation, pay, title change, whatever, in light of something like this? Well, I think there is absolutely things that they can do. And each company is going to have their own process that you need to go through. So here at Brandeis, there is a position review process that's official that needs to go through HR, where you need to clearly document if your job description has changed what are the new or increased duties, what are the increased responsibilities, and actually document the A to B that you've been dealt. And I think that's also the challenge with internal promotions too and internal hires. If someone's coming from the outside world, almost always going to get paid more, which is crazy. But because you're an internal employee, you're already working there. They already have you. And so there is that hurdle that you have to overcome is the bias against current employees looking to advance, whether you're a woman or a man. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is the status quo bias, which is something I talk about here a lot because it (laughs) dictates so much of human behavior, which is change swimming upstream of any kind is going to be harder than going with the flow. And so there's already this inertia that's telling Sonia, okay, just chill, Sonia, like stay doing what you're doing. We'll figure this out later. And if she's not going to push this boulder up the hill, it's not going anywhere. And I'm also hearing that there are channels through which she can go. It sounds like she's she's doing her due diligence, yeah? Yes, and I think there are a few different routes you can take. And we talk about this at Boston Boot Camp as well when we're talking about the Know Your Worth module is that there's short-term things that you can negotiate for and then long-term. So if this is a short-term case of taking on additional work, whether they're planning to rehire for a position or someone will be eventually coming back from leave, it would be appropriate to ask for a stipend or a bonus to cover the additional work that you did during a specific set period of time. If this position isn't getting refilled and you're expected to take this on as an additional part of your job description for the foreseeable future, then a salary increase or requesting a raise is really more preferred because if you get that bonus that one time, it's great. But then next year, you're actually going to be making less because you're not going to have that bonus again. So your W-2s can look rather depressing (laughs) uh, the longer you stay somewhere if you're only really chasing after a bonus or a stipend. Well, that's an interesting insight that might help explain her employer's sort of counteroffer, which is, okay, we'll give you this bonus if we can land a new big client. Maybe that is their way of showing their cards of saying that this is a temporary problem that deserves a temporary solution. Otherwise, they would be talking with her or we would hope that her negotiations would be going somewhere more clearly, heading in the direction of her assuming more responsibility to make up that lost talent. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that her supervisor sharing where that bonus potential could come from, from a budgeting perspective, is a really big window that you can glean some insights from. So it could be exactly what you just said. It could be that they really are seeing this as only a short term stint where she has this increased responsibility, but they're also telling her where the money is coming from. And so it sounded like Sonia was a little disappointed that she wouldn't have more of a hand in bringing in those clients that could ultimately result in that bonus for her. But they're being very upfront and honest with her of where the money's coming from and where the potential is. So I think that's a great thing. Yeah. So she did tell us that she's been at this job for about eight months. And she told us that her coworker, who was slightly more senior than her, he had been vying for a promotion for about six months. But there's still a lot that we don't know about her workplace scenario, right? Right. We don't know what her position is. We don't know what level she came into the position at. Did she take a position that was slightly below her experience level? And so that would be certainly room to ask earlier for a promotion than typical. Yeah. So speaking of, what would you say is the typical timeline for asking for and getting a promotion? Yeah, I think that's a tough question because there is no typical. And what it really comes down to is how quickly can you prove your worth and showcase the value you're bringing to your employer? And what is their timeline for promotions and what has history looked like at that company? Because history is going to tend to repeat itself. <laughs> so if it took your coworker six months it may be a similar timeline for you, but how long has that coworker been there? Has, have they been there for two years, five years, and they've been negotiating for the past six months from there? I think it really comes down to networking, actually. And that would be one tip I have for Sonia is talking with others at her company, but also others in similar roles at other companies. She could start with her alumni community, for example, if she went to a university to see what their timelines to promotion have been. And then that research is really going to help to shape what is realistic in her situation. Yeah, I think that's really fair. Another thing I was reading about in trying to get to the bottom of that question, because you're right, there's so many different timelines out there. There's like the make it to the one year mark to have your annual review advice. But then if you're working in a startup in Silicon Valley, one year is like a decade in other industries. So it really does differ. But one thing is for sure. And that is you have to master your existing role, right? You have to show that you're killing it and you're crushing it in the first eight months of your job before you can realistically say, I'm ready for a raise, I'm ready for a promotion. I like to think of it as you're not asking for a promotion, you're asking for a performance review. And when you have that performance review, assuming the vast majority of feedback from your supervisors is you're doing a great job, we're really happy with you. That's when you turn that performance review into a promotion. What's tricky here is timing, right? Sonia is understandably trying to capitalize on the vacancy in her team. And it makes sense, right? The work has to get done somewhere. She wants to be compensated for it. Go, Sonia. Go advocate for yourself. But this also might be seen as not team player behavior, right? When the department is struggling or when they're losing top talent and struggling to meet their bottom line metrics or their bottom line goals, this is the time when she is demanding more. And so I, I wonder how timing comes into play here in terms of the optics of how she's approaching this. What do you think? I think going back to what you said a little earlier, which is before you ask for anything, you need to be killing it. You really, really do. And that is going to take one person a day, one person, two years to show that you've mastered your job. And we see this with alumni, particularly recent graduates, and also interns that work with our office, that they want to tackle these really meaty projects and take on enhanced responsibilities. But if they're not able to populate the events calendar on our website, sorry, I'm yeah. not going to have you <laughs> recording a podcast with right. me. <laughs> and so I think it really is about proving that worth 
showing you're a team player, but also showing that you're a really strong individual contributor on that team. And so I think we talk about this all the time with women always saying we, 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 instead of I, what do you contribute? And that happens so often in an interview. And also I would imagine it happens so often in negotiation conversations too. Yeah. It's not what we're contributing. It's what you are contributing to the team. Yeah. Oh, it's so tricky though. It, it sounds like we're running up against another double bind that emerges from being a woman in the workforce. So when women are saying, I'm great, I'm hot shit, I'm the bomb, I'm the strongest member of our team, they're way more likely to be seen as selfish or self-absorbed or, you know, an entitled snowflake of a millennial <laughs> than a dude who says, no, I killed that project. Like, take me seriously. Well, I think it is interesting and I'd love to take a little quote out from Sonia's career conundrum here, which was when she talked about her coworkers advocating for himself to get a raise. And she used the word pestering, that he's been pestering the boss for the last six months. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you're about to be pestering your boss too. Yeah. And so I'd love to really shift that vocabulary to be more about advocacy and proving your worth and not pestering because if you're asking for what you're due, yeah, it's not pestering. I almost feel like the energy that underlies that word and her word choice there was her frustration. She's frustrated with the slow pace of change. And I wonder if this feels all that slow after all, because honestly, the women I've worked with over the past few years at Bossed Up, six months is not that long to be waiting for a promotion. And I wish it weren't true, but Six months doesn't seem like an exorbitant amount of time, although in this case, it was about rectifying this absence. So either way, like, have you had an experience in which you've pestered or shall we say advocated for yourself for a long period of time to try to get to the next level? What I would say about myself is that I'm a lifelong learner. So Emily, did you ever do like the Gallup Strengths Finder? Yes. Inventory. So lifelong learner, big strength of mine, also a weakness at times. Because if I find I'm no longer finding opportunities to stretch and grow my skills, that's when I'm like, peace out. And so that's another way to approach this situation too, is you're getting new responsibilities, you're getting a chance to learn and grow and build upon your experience that you can talk about in a resume or on a cover letter or in your interview. And that's really valuable too, outside of a raise, outside of a promotion. And I'm not advocating for Sonia to just sit idly by and take all this on, but it's putting a different spin on it that she is getting something from this additional work. Well, it's going from a framework of being taken advantage of to taking advantage of the opportunity. And I think that's a really healthy mindset shift that's more in her control. She's doing everything she can to make her company put up the funds to reward the work that she's doing. And she must, and she should, and she has to keep advocating for herself. But at the end of the day, Sonia, you don't have control over their timeline. At the end of the day, you can't will them into moving their bureaucracy faster. So in the meantime, I think that's a really strong piece of advice, Alex, to shift your mindset from, oh my God, I'm being taken advantage of to here's an opportunity for me to rise to the occasion, prove myself, hopefully get compensated, whether it's that bonus or a raise. And if not, get compensated in experience that I can then leverage for my next job elsewhere, quite frankly. Right. There's a lot of studies in management training that talks about why someone leaves a role, why someone leaves and does not stay at a current company. And the top reason is never salary and compensation. Rarely, rarely is it the top reason. It's, can I learn and grow from this position? Are there professional development opportunities? And do I have a manager who supports me and who I can learn and grow from? And so in this case, you know, we don't know too much about Sonia's manager, but what we do know is that he is willing to go to HR have the conversation on her behalf. And he came up with a really great suggestion. Maybe it's company bureaucracy, maybe it's his own, which is to set up those actionable goals that he wants to see her meet that would 
allow for a promotion in the future. And I think setting up a timeline for success like that, that's very concrete, that's measurable on both ends is a great starting point. I was going to say, it seems like as transparent as a manager can be, because we, again, like you said, we don't know a lot about her manager, but this person is stuck in the middle, <laughs> right? Being a middle manager is not an easy role to play because... I know. I know all about it. <laughs> arbitrate, right, between HR and everywhere else. And the fact that they said, come back to me in two weeks, what do you think about that in terms of a timeline? I think two weeks can go by in a flash. I think that's a really quick turnaround and a really nice invitation to show that he's ready to move forward. Right. I think it's reasonable too. And Sonia, we're not saying this to counter or not validate your experience because clearly you're frustrated by this, but it's one of those situations where you've got to see the forest from the trees. You are in the thick of it. And when we are in the center of our own drama, (laughs) it's hard to tell you know, what is a realistic time frame? What are realistic expectations when you're going in every day feeling frustrated at a lack of progress? Right. And when she's going in every day doing extra work that she's not being paid for. Yeah. Like, that's annoying. And two weeks of extra work that you weren't planning for, you got other stuff going on. Emily, you always talk about the combination platter of career yeah. and health and love. And there's other stuff happening beyond your job that's certainly contributing to to your frustration and the need to move this timeline forward quickly. Right. So we hear you on that. We're validating that, but we're also pushing back a little bit because, you know, here at Bust Up, we like to keep it real. And to be completely real about this, this is sounds like a very realistic timeline. Alex, you and I were talking off air about the terrible, entitled millennial stereotype. Oh, yes. And how do you feel like that plays in here? And and how should Sonia navigate that? Yeah, I think that eight months is not a long time. And I think about, you know, an intern interning somewhere for six to eight months, that's getting their feet wet. They're just barely dipping their toe in. Yeah. And yet I know people who get consistently the two year itch in a, in a role like, okay, two years are up. It's time for me to get going. But I think if you start to get this antsy feeling at around the eight month mark or whatever mark it is for you, it's probably a pattern and you might find yourself in this position quite a bit where you're hopping from job to job or company to company if you're not really willing to wait and see what happens. Yeah. And for the record, I did that. Bossed up is the longest tenure I've ever had at any one position as CEO. (laughs) So clearly something here is working. But yes, and Brandeis is my longest tenure as well. It'll be eight years this September. Wow. Eight years. A millennial who's been in a job for eight years. What? I know. Who am I? Let the record reflect. There's a millennial on the line who's been at the same job for eight years. (laughs) That's something else that she needs to be aware of. So Sonia... You might not be an entitled millennial, but you're going to trigger that stereotype in people's minds no matter what you do. So there's an element of pleasant patience that I want you to bring to your advocacy. And yes, you should be consistent. Yes, you should have a game plan and work with this very transparent manager of yours to work that game plan and have a system of accountability. But if you can bring an especially pleasant, patient tone to this, you're going to be rewarded because otherwise you risk playing right into that entitled millennial trope that we all face. And it could backfire through no fault of your own. It's an optics game. It's all about perception. Right. I was discussing this with some of my colleagues in the Career Center, and entitled was a word that came up almost immediately. Really? Yes. And millennial as well. And we don't know how old Sonia is, right? We're like totally making assumptions here. And we're two millennials talking about millennials. And (laughs) it's just, it gets a little, it gets a little crazy. But there are many times that any of us are going to need to leave in order to move up. That's just the nature of work these days. But it really doesn't sound like Sonia has reached that point yet. And so I'd love to challenge her to stick it out, practice patience, as you said, 
and see what happens. Yeah. And she'll know you're going to know after a few months what's happening. And again, I'd bring it back to that networking. You said that this is notorious behavior. So there's probably other things that you're not mentioning in this call that are happening at your company that lead you to have a bit more frustration and impatience because it's not just you. Right. So she's alluding to this as a pattern across departments, right? In her question itself. Yeah. Which was a key thing to pick up on. (laughs) You can tell listeners that Alex and I have listened to this question many times over. Couple times. Couple times. We're like, wait a second. Let me parse through all the clues that Sonia's dropped in here. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, understanding whether this is systemic or individual is helpful, but it doesn't really change the fact that she might have to embrace patience (laughs) as a part of her promotion strategy. But if that's not for you, I think at the end of the day, as someone who's very impatient at my core, I always joke that my impatience has been my biggest weakness and my biggest strength, kind of like your love of lifelong learning. When I don't see that the work I'm doing is immediately valuable to people, I don't do it. (laughs) And that can be a problem for long-term goals. Like, I don't know, publishing a book, perhaps, which is finally happening, or sticking it out at a job for more than two years before I had to start my own company where I could see that impact more instantaneously. In fact, actually, last Thursday on my Boss Tips episode, I ran through three key indicators that the job you're working at is a dead-end job. And one of them was actually related to this managerial situation in Sonia's case, which is if your manager doesn't have a very clear path forward for you that they can articulate, or at least a game plan, then maybe it's time to bounce. But like you're saying, she's got indicators that they're doing their best to make the path forward more clear. Right. If your manager is talking to you about goals, setting goals, reaching goals, reporting back to HR on goals, (laughs) this is a good thing. Consider yourself lucky. Right. It may make other people run for the hills. They're like, oh, God, I'm really needing to be accountable now. But for you and your position, this is a good thing because you are both going to be measuring your own success on the same set of criteria. And so hopefully that brings you onto the same page and onto the same timeline. I'm so glad I have you on the line for this episode, Alex, because I don't know if I have the patience to work for a big company based on this alone. You know what I mean? Like, is this just part of the realities of working at larger organizations? And because I have almost always worked in small businesses or smaller organizations, except for the major organizations that I now work with and consult with, but I'm not embedded I mean, does this just sound like the normal expectations that we all have to deal with if we choose to be in a large organization? I don't think so. I think so much of bonus potential, promotion potential, upward mobility is based on having advocates. And it's based on having people in your corner, a manager who supports you, someone who's going to put your name into consideration. And that's really what it's all about. And the money and the finances and the things in the background find, have a way of working themselves out. That's such an interesting point. It is all about relationships in every facet of work, I feel like today. So that's a really great piece of advice. What would you, I said, I was going to ask you one last question, like four questions ago, but here we go. (laughs) (laughs) How do you think Sonia should nurture the relationships with her colleagues and her manager? to sort of repair some of the resentment that might have shown through and practice patience, not just with herself, but with those folks in a way that still motivates them to help her. Right. One of her biggest allies could be her teammate who just recently got promoted. In addition to her manager, clearly her teammate negotiated a successful promotion and did it. So I think there could be a really great potential relationship there and a potential advocate in that person. And to look at him as someone who can show her the ropes. And I think this is an opportunity for that person to lift her up as he's climbing. Yeah. Um, Because why not? But she needs to, again, prove herself. Yeah. 
So I assume that you're killing it at your job, Sonia. You're doing so good. Everyone's impressed by you and wants to take you on this ride with them. And so the same thing goes for your manager. It's being upfront and honest with them, but also taking every interaction, every check-in that you have, every quarterly or periodic review to show the value that you're bringing, but also to show interest in what they're doing as well. A panelist on a recent webinar that I did talked about her strategy to building relationships, and it was about taking genuine interest in other people's projects and not always asking for something or asking for advice, but saying, tell me what you're working on. It looks so interesting. Right. And really show, just taking genuine interest and using flattery. And yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it goes miles, really. Yeah, it really does. Particularly with a manager. Well, it's so interesting because she has to ingratiate herself, right? She has to to win over their gratitude and respect and be pleasantly persistent in her own self-advocacy. I think that's a really good reminder for all of us. Even when we feel slighted, even when we feel completely understandably resentful, we have to be persistently pleasant in order to get people to help us. Because if they don't feel intrinsically motivated to help us, nothing we say or do is going to change their attitude. Right. I also think that this is not just a moment in time. So clearly, Sonia wants to capitalize on this employee departure and get the promotion right now because there seems to be room for that. Yeah. But I don't want her to discount that there will not be other opportunities as well down the line, that if this one doesn't work out, if they choose to rehire it, or maybe they fill it with someone else, or maybe her job just gets a little bit bigger, yeah, there's going to be something else that comes down the line and clearly starting to do the legwork now, just as her colleague did six months ago, is going to behoove you when a new opportunity does arise. Oof. Such an interesting kind of conflicted episode today because I find myself, Miss Bossed Up, get advocating for yourself, demand all that you're worth, especially if and when your job description changes, saying like, yeah, we actually do need to balance that with patience, which is advice that I cringe giving a little bit because I think women on the whole have been far too patient historically. (laughs) Well, exactly right. I mean... This is not a conversation we have often, and that's right. why I'm happy that we're having it. Yeah. Most often, we have to start at the beginning. You deserve it. Fight for what you're worth. <laughs> you can't get what you don't ask for. You yeah. know, all of these phrases that we're so familiar with. And Sonia's doing it. Yeah. That's the great part about this. And so what's on the flip side of that is the resilience that she's going to need to continue doing it long enough to make it happen. So... I think that's a good place to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining me, Alex and Sonia. I hope this helps. Keep in touch. Let us know how things go. And you better call in with that boss move if and when this promotion whole thing gets figured out because we want to hear about it. Thanks so much, Alex. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Emily. And now it's time for this week's Boss Moves Moment of the Week. Hi, this is Angie from Sonoma County, California, and I'm calling to share that my boss move this week was that I received a promotion, a raise, and a bonus. This is only my second year at my current job, and during my review, I stepped out of my comfort zone and directly asked for more than the standard living wage increase and also asked for a promotion, which made me super nervous, but I figured the worst they could do was say no. I ended up getting double the raise that I was expecting and double the bonus. My mom always taught me it doesn't hurt to ask, and she was right. Dang, Angie, that is amazing and such a wonderful way to end this particular episode with a reminder that, you know what, sometimes it's not hard. (laughs) Sometimes asking for and advocating for the promotion that you so clearly deserve comes through, and you and your mom are on the right track when it comes to daring to ask and having the courage and knowing that the worst that you could get is a no. So congratulations, Angie. I'm so proud of you and so glad to hear this inspiring story. Something for all of us to keep in mind. 
as we move forward in advocating for our own promotions. And as an aside, Angie, I am a huge fan of your part of the country. I recently went to Napa Valley for the first time with my dad. I'm actually working on this year before I get married, spending some good quality one-on-one time with special trips that I've planned with each of my parents. And my dad, who's a total wino, and I had the trip of a lifetime right in your neck of the woods. Love me some Sonoma County. Love me some California wine. And uh, it was my first time up there. So shout out to your neck of the woods. That's all we've got for you today, bosses. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you for sharing this episode with the women in your world who you know could benefit from it. And if you've got a Boss Moves moment to share or want to ask the next career conundrum, feel free to give me a call on the podcast hotline right now at 910-668-2677. In the meantime, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll continue to lift as we climb.
let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.